0: Chapter seven, part three of the American Language. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The American Language by H. L. Mencken. Chapter seven Differences in Spelling. Part three. The Influence of Webster. At the time of the first settlement of America, the rules of English orthography were beautifully vague, and so we find the early documents full of spellings that would give an English lexicographer much pain today. Now and then a curious foreshadowing of later American usage is encountered. On july fourth, sixteen thirty one, for example, John Winthrop wrote in his journal that the governor built a bark at Mystic which was launched this day. Governor G-O-V-E-R-N-O-U-R, mystic, M-I-S-T-I-C-K. But during the 18th century, and especially after the publication of Johnson's Dictionary, there was a general movement in England toward a more inflexible orthography, and many hard and fast rules still surviving were then laid down. It was Johnson himself who established the position of the U in the O.U.R. words. Bailey, Dice, and the other lexicographers before him were divided and uncertain. Johnson declared for the U, and though his reasons were very shaky, and often he neglected his own precept, his authority was sufficient to set up a usage which still defies attack in England. Footnote Johnson even advocated translator t r a n s l a t o u r emperor e m p e r o u r orator and horror, but like most other lexicographers, he was often inconsistent in the conflict between interior with a u and exterior without the u and anterior with the u, and posterior, without the u, in his dictionary, laid him open to much mocking criticism. Even in America, this usage was not often enough brought into question until the last quarter of the 18th century. True enough, honor appears in the Declaration of Independence, but it seems to have got there rather by accident than by design in Jefferson's original draft. It is spelled H-O-N-O-U-R. So early as 1768, Benjamin Franklin had published his Scheme for a New Alphabet and a Reformed Mode of Spelling with Remarks and Examples Concerning the Same and an Enquiry into its Uses, and induced the Philadelphia Type Founder to cut Type for it, but the scheme was too extravagant to be adopted anywhere, or to have any appreciable influence upon spelling. Footnote: In a letter to Miss Stevenson, September twenty, seventeen sixty-eight, he exhibited the use of his new alphabet. The letter is to be found in most editions of his writings. End footnote. It was Noah Webster who finally achieved the divorce between English example and American practice he struck the first blow in his grammatical institute of the english language published at hartford in seventeen eighty three attached to this work was an appendix bearing the formidable title of an essay of the necessity advantages and practicability of reforming the mode of spelling and of rendering the orthography of words corresponded to the pronunciation and during the same year at boston he set forth his ideas a second time in the first edition of his American Spelling Book. The influence of this spelling book was immediate and profound. It took the place in the schools of Dilworth's Abbey-Selfar, the favorite of the generation preceding, and maintained its authority for a full century. Until Lyman Cobb, entered the lists with his new spelling book in 1842 its innumerable editions scarcely had any rivalry and even then it held its own i have a new york edition dated 1848 which contains an advertisement stating that the annual sale at the time was more than a million copies and that more than thirty million copies had been sold since 1783 in the late forties the publishers george f coolidge and brothers devoted the whole capacity of the fastest steam press in the united states to the printing of it this press turned out five hundred and twenty five copies an hour or five thousand two hundred and fifty a day it was constructed expressly for printing webster's elementary spelling book the name had been changed in eighteen twenty nine at an expense of $5,000. Down to 1889, 62 million copies of the book had been sold. The appearance of Webster's first dictionary in 1806 greatly strengthened his influence. The best dictionary available to Americans before this was Johnson's in its various incarnations, but against Johnson's stood a good deal of animosity to its compiler whose implacable hatred of all things american was well known to the citizens of the new republic john walker's dictionary issued in london seventeen ninety one was also in use but not extensively a home-made school dictionary issued at new haven in seventeen ninety eight or seventeen ninety nine by one samuel johnson jr apparently no relative of the great sam and a larger work published a year later by johnson and the rev john elliot pastor in east guilford connecticut seems to have made no impression despite the fact that the latter was commended by simeon baldwin chauncey goodrich and other magnificos of the time and place and even by webster himself the field was thus open to the laborious and truculent noah he was already the acknowledged magister of lexicography in america and there was an active public demand for a dictionary that should be wholly american the appearance of his first duodecimo according to williams thereby took on something of the character of a national event it was received not critically but patriotically and its imperfections were swallowed as eagerly as its merits later on webster had to meet formidable critics at home as well as abroad but for nearly a quarter of a century he reigned almost unchallenged edition after edition of his dictionary was published each new one showing additions and improvements finally in eighteen twenty-eight he printed his great american dictionary of the english language in two large octavo volumes it held the field for half a century not only against worcester and the other american lexicographers who followed him but also against the best dictionaries produced in england until very lately indeed america remained ahead of england in practical dictionary making Webster had declared boldly for simpler spellings in his early spelling books. In his Dictionary of 1806, he made an assault at all arms upon some of the dearest prejudices of English lexicographers, grounding his wholesale reforms upon a saying by Franklin that those people spell best who do not know how to spell, that is, who spell phonetically, and logically. He made an almost complete sweep of whole classes of silent letters, the U in the O-U-R words, the final E in determine and requisite, the silent A in thread, feather, and steady, the silent B in thumb, the S in island, the O in leopard, and the redundant consonants in traveler, wagon, jeweler, etc. English, they were spelt T-R-A-V-E-L-L-E-R, W-A-G-G-O-N, and J-E-W-E-L-L-E-R. More, he lopped the final K from frolic, physic, and their analogues. Yet more, he transposed the E and the R in all words ending in R-E such as theater, luster, center, and caliber. Yet more, he changed the C in all words of the defense class to S. Yet more, he changed the PH to F in words of the phantom class, OU to OO in words of the group class, OW to OU in crowd, Porpoise to P O R P E S S, acre to A K E R, so to S O E, woe to W O, soot to S U T, G A O L to jail, and P L O U G H to P L O W. Finally he antedated the simplified spellers by inventing a long list of boldly phonetic spellings, ranging from tongue, T-U-N-G, for tongue, to women, W-I-M-M-E-N, for women, and from H-A-I-N-O-U-S, for highness, to CAG, for K-E-G. A good many of these new spellings, of course— were not actually Webster's inventions. For example, the change from OUR to OR in words of the honor class were a near echo of an earlier English usage, or more accurately, of an earlier English uncertainty. In the first three folios of Shakespeare, sixteen twenty three, sixteen thirty two, and sixteen sixty three to sixteen sixty six, honor, and honor with the U were used indiscriminately and in almost equal proportions. English spelling was still fluid, and the O.U.R. form was not consistently adopted until the fourth folio of 1685. Moreover, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, is authority for the statement that the O.R. form was a fashionable impropriety in england in 1791 but the great authority of johnson stood against it and webster was surely not one to imitate fashionable improprieties he deleted the u for purely etymological reasons going back to the latin honor favor and odor without the u without taking account of the intermediate French honneur, faveur, f-a-v-e-u-r, and odeur, o-d-e-u-r. And where no etymological reasons presented themselves, he made his changes by analogy, and for the sake of uniformity, or for euphony, or simplicity or because it pleased him one guesses to stir up the academic animals webster in fact delighted in controversy and was anything but free from the national yearning to make a sensation a great many of his innovations of course failed to take root and in the course of time he abandoned some of them himself in his early essay on the necessity, of advantage, and practicability of reforming the mode of spelling, he advocated reforms which were already discarded by the time he published the first edition of his dictionary. Among them were the dropping of the silent letter and such words as head, give, built, and realm, making them H-E-D, G-I-V. B-I-L-T, and R-E-L-M. The substitution of doubled vowels for decayed diphthongs in such words as mean, zeal, and near, making them M-E-E-N, Z-E-E-L, and N-E-E-R. And the substitution of S-H for C-H in such French loanwords as machine, and chevalier, making them m-a-s-h-e-e-n and s-h-e-v-a-l-e-e-r. He also declared for s-t-i-l-e, in place of style, and for many other such changes, and then quietly abandoned them. The successive editions of his dictionary show still further concessions. Crowd, C-R-O-U-D Feather F-E-T-H-E-R Group G-R-O-O-P Guillotine G-I-L-L O-T-I-N Island I-L-A-N-D Instead I-N-S-T-E-D Leopard L-E-P-E-R-D So S-O-E Soot S-U-T Steady S-T-E-D-D-Y Threat T-H-R-E-T Threat Thread, THRD, Thumb, THUM, and Women, appear only in the 1806 edition. In 1828, he went back to Crowd, Feather, Group, Island, Instead, Leopard, so Soot, Steady, Thread, Threat, Thumb, and Women, and changed Guillotin, G-I-L-L-O-T-I-N, to G-U-I-L-L-O-T-I-N. In addition, he restored the final E in determine, discipline, requisite, imagine, etc. In 1838, revising his dictionary, he abandoned a good many spellings that had appeared in either the 1806 or the 1828 edition, notably M-A-I-Z for maize, S-U-V-E-R-A-N for sovereign, and G-U-I-L-L-O-T-I-N, for guillotine, with the E at the end. But he stuck manfully to a number that were quite as revolutionary, for example, acre, with a K for acre, C-A-G for keg, G-R-O-T-E-S-K for grotesque, H-A-I-N-O-U-S for highness, P-O-R-P-E-S-S, for porpoise, and T-U-N-G, for tongue, and they did not begin to disappear until the edition of 1854, issued by other hands and eleven years after his death. Three of his favorites, C-H-I-M-I-S-T, for chemist, N-E-G-E-R, for negro, and z-e-b-e-r for zebra are incidentally interesting as showing changes in american pronunciation he abandoned z-e-b-e-r in 1828 but remained faithful to c-h-i-m-i-s-t and n-e-g-e-r to the last but though he was thus forced to give occasional ground and in more than one case held out in vain Webster lived to see the majority of his reforms adopted by his countrymen. He left the ending in O-R triumphant over the ending in O-U-R. He shook the security of the ending in R-E. He rid American spelling of a great many doubled consonants. He established the S in words of the defense group, and he gave currency to many characteristic American spellings, notably jail, wagon, plow, mold, and axe. These spellings still survive, and are practically universal in the United States today. Their use constitutes one of the most obvious differences between written English and written American. Moreover, they have founded a general tendency, the effects of which reach far beyond the field actually traversed by Webster himself. New words, and particularly loan words, are simplified, and hence naturalized in American much more quickly than in English. Employee has long since become E-M-P-L-O-Y-E-E in our newspapers, and asphalt has lost its final E. And... M-A-N-O-E-U-V-R-E has become M-A-N-E-U-V-E-R, and P-Y-J-A-M-A-S has become P-A-J-A-M-A-S. Even the terminology of science is simplified and Americanized, In medicine, for example, the highest American usage countenances many forms which would seem barbarisms to an English medical man if he encountered them in Lancet. In derivatives of the Greek H-A-I-M-A, it is the almost invariable American custom to spell the root syllable H-E-M, but the more conservative English make it H-A-E-M that is, in hemorrhage and hemiplegia. In an exhaustive list of diseases issued by the United States Public Health Service, the HAEM form does not appear once. In the same way American usage prefers esophagus, E-S-O-P-H-A-G-U-S, diarrhea, D-I-A-R-R-H-E-A, and gonorrhea, G-O-N-O-R-R-H-E-A, to the English O-E-S-O-P-H-A-G-U-S, D-I-A-R-R-H-O-E-A, and G-O-N-O-R-R-H-O-E-A. In the style book of the Journal of the American Medical Association, I find many other spellings that would shock an English medical author. Among them, C-U-R-E-T, for C-U-R-E-T-T-E, C-O-C-A-I-N, for C-O-C-A-I-N-E, G-A-G-E, for G-A-U-G-E, Intern, for intern with an E at the end, Lacrimal, L-A-C-R-I-M-A-L, for l a c h r y m a l and a whole group of words ending in e r instead of re webster's reforms it goes without saying have not passed unchallenged by the guardians of tradition a glance at the literature of the first years of the nineteenth century shows that most of the serious authors of the time ignored his new spellings though they were quickly adopted by the newspapers. Bancroft's Life of Washington contains O.U.R. endings, in all such words as honor, ardor, and favor. Washington Irving also threw his influence against the O.R. ending, and so did Bryant and most of the other literary bigwigs of that day after the appearance of an american dictionary of the english language in eighteen twenty eight a formal battle was joined with lyman cobb and joseph e worcester as the chief opponents of the reformer cobb and worcester in the end accepted the o r ending and so surrendered on the main issue but various other champions arose to carry on the war edward s gould in a once famous essay denounced the whole websterian orthography with the utmost fury bryant reprinting this philippic in the evening post said that on account of webster the english language has been undergoing a process of corruption for the last quarter of a century and offered to contribute to a fund to have gold's denunciation read twice a year in every schoolhouse in the United States until every trace of Websterian spelling disappears from the land. But Bryant was forced to admit that even in 1856, the chief novelties of the Connecticut schoolmaster, who taught millions to read, but not one to sin, were adopted and propagated by the largest publishing house through the columns of the most widely circulated monthly magazine and through one of the ablest and most widely circulated newspapers in the United States, which is to say, the Tribune under Greeley. The last academic attack was delivered by Bishop Cox, with an E at the end, in 1886, and he contented himself with the resigned statement that Webster has corrupted our spelling sadly. Lounsbury, with his active interest in spelling reform, ranged himself on the side of Webster, and effectively disposed of the controversy by showing that the great majority of his spellings were supported by precedents quite as respectable as those behind the fashionable English spellings. In Lounsbury's opinion, a good deal of the opposition to them was no more than a symptom of antipathy to all things American among certain englishmen and of subservience to all things english among certain americans webster's inconsistency gave his opponents a formidable weapon for use against him until it began to be noticed that the orthodox english spelling was quite as inconsistent he sought to change acre to a k e r but left l u c r e unchanged. He removed the final F from bailiff, mastiff, plaintiff, and pontiff, but left it in distiff. He changed C to S in words for the offense class, but left the C in fence. He changed the CK in frolic, physic, etc. into a simple C but restored it in such derivatives as frolicsome. He deleted the silent U in mold, but left it in court. These slips were made the most of by Cobb in a pamphlet printed in 1831. He also detected Webster in the frequent faux pas of using spellings in his definitions and explanations that conflicted the spellings he advocated. Various other purists joined in the attack, and it was renewed with great fury after the appearance of Worcester's Dictionary in 1846. Worcester, who had begun his lexicographical labors by editing Johnson's Dictionary, was a good deal more conservative than Webster, and so the partisans of conformity rallied around him, and for a while the controversy took on all the rancor of a personal quarrel. Even the editions of Webster, printed after his death, though they gave way on many points, were violently arraigned. Gould, in 1867, belabored the editions of 1854 and 1866 and complained that for the past 25 years the Websterian replies have uniformly been bitter in tone and very free in the imputation of personal motives or interested or improper motives on the part of opposing critics. At this time Webster himself had been dead for 22 years. Shelley de during the same year, denounced the publishers of the Webster Dictionaries for applying immense capital and a large stock of energy and perseverance to the propagation of his new and arbitrarily imposed orthography. End of chapter 7, part 3